We'll head to Japan this half hour, uh, at least talk about Japan. Um, the country's still reeling from an assassination last week of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Um, you probably heard about it. He was shot and killed while delivering a campaign speech in the city of Nara, that's near Osaka. Um, there's going to be a funeral a little later today, a private funeral at a Buddhist temple in central Tokyo for Abe. Uh, there will be a public memorial and other ceremonies apparently at a later date. Now, to put Abe into perspective, uh, he really was a giant of Japanese post-war politics. He was the longest-serving post-war uh, prime minister. He served two separate terms uh, in this century. He also sort of brought Japan along to sort of he, – he changed the way in some ways Japan looked at it, or at least tried to, the way Japan – was on the international stage for a long time. There had been a lot of looking backwards to the to the crimes of the Second World War, and he tried to move beyond that. Uh, again, he the sixty seven year old was the country's longest serving prime minister when he resigned back in twenty twenty. While U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was there today, he visited Tokyo to pay a brief condolence following the assassination of Abe last week. The American people feel a sense of loss along with the people of Japan. Blinken met with the current Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida. He said Abe did more than anyone to elevate the relationship between the United States and Japan to new heights. Mostly I'm here because the United States and Japan are, are more than allies. We're friends. Blinken gave Kishida a letter from President Joe Biden to Abe's family, saying, We simply want them to know that we deeply feel the loss on a personal level as well. I'm Donna Warder. Well, with more on that now, I'm joined by Stephen Neji. Uh, he is a visiting fellow at the Japan Institute of International Affairs and the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. And he is also a senior associate professor in the Department of Politics and International Studies at International Christian University in Tokyo in Japan. Thank you so much for your time tonight. It's great to be here, Ben. Thank you. So this, I mean, in a country with very little political violence uh, of late, um, the odd uh, try the odd sort of uh, Yakuza thing, I gather, over the years, but really no political violence of anything and very little gun crime, almost no gun crime. The country still must be reeling from what's happened here. Uh, how, how is it? What's happened in the last few days over the weekend, for instance? That's right, Ben. You know, uh, Japan is known for being a country that doesn't have any political violence. Uh, gun violence is not only rare, it's unheard of. And political violence towards um, current uh, politicians or former politicians really hasn't taken place since the 1960s. So um, the uh, killing of Prime Minister Abe by a lone wolf gunman, and I think that's really important for us to understand, that this was not a politically motivated uh, killing. It wasn't associated with the far left or the far right, but it was uh, looks like a, a somebody that has psychological issues, um, really has uh, shook the security that ordinary Japanese and the Japanese political establishment have in terms of how they engage in the public during, during elections and the safety of their political leaders. And I think this is going to be transform, transformative. Because I, I, my, my understanding, and I've been to Japan, it's, it's, it's one of those places where you, you, you couldn't feel safer than in, than in Japan. Um, but I also understand that it was very common during election season, and it was, there were elections actually yesterday, Sunday in Japan, um, which is why former Prime Minister Abe was out giving a speech in Nara uh, on Friday or Thursday in, uh, in Friday in Japan, uh, that it was very common for, for political leaders to sort of give speeches in public with very little security around them uh, to sort of take for granted the fact that it was such a safe place. Uh, I, I guess you're saying that that will change. How will that look in Japan if it changes? 
Well, moving forward, I think that this is definitely a shock. Uh, somebody of, of the grandeur of, of, of the late Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe that was killed um, on the stump for uh, somebody in his political party. So my assumption moving forward is that we're going to see more um, securitization of uh, ordinary politics. That means uh, a bigger uh, police footprint, a bigger security footprint, and that means that politicians will be less accessible to ordinary um, Japanese citizens. And the problem with this is is that Japan is a very consensus-based decision-making society, which means that politicians need to get out there, they need to listen to people, they need to find out what they're thinking, and they need to help uh, forge consensus on issues. And those could be issues related to migration or security policy or taxation policy. So I think that this is going to reshape how uh, the Japanese political establishment engages in politics uh, to um, you know, really uh, ensure that their dem- democratic system continues to function normally. You must have been shocked when you saw, I mean, everyone was shocked when, when this happened. But, but for someone who spends time in Japan, who studies Japan, who teaches about Japan, uh, what was your reaction when you first heard that it had happened? Because it seems so uh, just completely uh, unthinkable. Well, I, I think that, um, first of all, the, the, the fact that it was um, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who has had such a consequential experience as a Prime Minister in Japan, you know, he's really resurrected the Japanese uh, foreign policy within the region. Uh, he demonstrated uh, leadership during very difficult times, whether it was under uh, President Obama or President Trump or President um, or uh, President Xi in China. He was able to... Um, uh, you know, balance these relationships, form uh, policy, and form compromise to create a, a forward-leaning, pragmatic foreign policy. Um, so this was a shock. And at the domestic level as well, he tried to uh, improve the lot of women in society with, through something called womenomics. He tried to address the stagnant economy through something called abenomics, based basically quantitative easing, fiscal policy, and uh, deregulation. And really, he was uh, the most consequential um, leader in the Japanese um, post-World War II period. So losing something like that, that has had such um, uh, a degree of influence and really shifted Japan in a very positive direction, was a shock. Um, but the fact that you know, there was political violence really um, is something that is just, again, unheard of in the Japanese context. And I think many of my colleagues and myself were just um, at a complete loss that this could happen in a country that is so safe as Japan. And I think that this, again, will be transformative uh, moving forward in terms of how politics um, is more securitized to deal with the concerns about lone wolves like the the man that killed Prime Minister Abe. Yeah, you mentioned uh, off the top that 41-year-old, the, the suspect was arrested at the scene, 41-year-old Tetsuya Yamagami. Uh, he's a former member of Japan's Navy. We knew that last week. We're learning a little bit more about potential motives, but this was not, as you mentioned, this was not a political act, even though Abe had been, had been in the past a controversial figure at times. Um, this was, now we were, it's quite clear this was not uh, driven by politics. Uh, in my understanding, yes. You know, um, the typical, uh, you know, violence that would happen or the protests that would happen in Japan would be on the far left, those supporting the pacifist constitution, or the far right that are, uh, say, that Japan's constitution does, doesn't represent Japanese interests. And there is some um, odd violence and, and protests. But it, this was a lone man. Um, it looks like, you know, he made this weapon um, by the do-it-yourself, do it um, you know, plan. Uh, the weapon was not a professional weapon, and it was very much a, an ad hoc 
uh, attack on uh, a prominent politician. And um, in this sense, uh, this means that Japan remains very, very safe and that politicians continue to uh, engage in, in proactive consensus-building democracy in the Japanese context. Um, but on the other side, it, it says something about you know, psychological issues in Japan and the vulnerability that politicians have to um, people that have uh, psychological issues and that play those out in, in a very public setting like we saw with um, the killing of Prime Minister Abe. Yeah, I was. Um, has, have you seen? I mean, the, the outpouring of, of sympathy from around the world obviously was was something that was important to see. Is, has anything struck you by 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 Shinzo Abe's legacy? Just with the words you've been hearing over the past uh, seventy two hours? Because when I was thinking about it on Friday, I mean, there was really you know I'd been to G sevens and G eights over the years. Yeah. Yeah. There was really no more identifiable Japanese politician in my lifetime, I think, than Shinzo Abe. Well, I think that he was a, a prominent figure, whether it's Europe and, and helping forge the Japan-EU um, uh, economic partnership or pushing the uh, comprehensive progressive trans-Pacific partnership that includes Canada um, to dealing with um, you know, uh, unorthodox political leaders like the former uh, president of the United States. He had an, a, an act, an act of formal relationships to communicate a vision and to um, provide nuance to how to manage um, the current very difficult um, foreign policy issues that all countries face. And I think the biggest issue, of course, is um, the return of China as a central economy in, in the Indo-Pacific region and what this means for um, all the countries within the region. And, you know, Abe, um, despite his nationalist and conservative credentials, he really thought about how to foster coexistence through constraining some of China's worst behavior, but also engaging um, through trade agreements like the Regional Comprehensive uh, Economic Partnership, uh, environmental cooperation, and infrastructure connectivity in third countries. So he was not one of these politicians that was zero-sum saying, get rid of the CCP, get rid of communism. Rather, he looked at the situation, um, he, he assessed it, he understood the pragmatism necessary to create a, a coexistence relationship. And he did this by forging strong um, relations with like-minded countries and regions like Canada, the United States, Australia, uh, the EU, and others. And I think that is really his legacy, is investing in um, multilateralism and multilayered cooperation with many countries regardless whether they were democracies, uh, kingdoms, uh, theocracies. And I think this is something that um, we all need to learn from. I'm speaking with Stephen Nagy. He's a visiting fellow at the Japan Institute of International Affairs and at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, also a senior associate professor in the Department of Politics and International Studies at the International Christian University in Tokyo. Uh, we're talking about the assassination of uh, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe last week. A funeral will be held on Tuesday. It is Tuesday in Japan now. So a funeral, private funeral will be held in the coming hours. There will be a more uh, public ceremony at a later date, uh, apparently. When we come back, We'll talk a bit more just about it. He still was very influential in Japanese politics. In fact, his party uh, did very well in those elections that were held uh, held yesterday or Sunday in Japan. And just what his absence might mean specifically when it comes to some of the thornier issues in the region such as China. And we'll get to that after this. Our guest this half hour is Stephen Neji. He is a professor in the a senior associate professor in the Department of Politics and International Studies at International Christian University in Tokyo. We're talking about the assassination on Friday of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. There is a funeral 
in Tokyo, a private funeral a little later today, uh, just as the country continues to come to grips with what happened and why and how. Um, we mentioned, of course, that it looks it appears to be in this case that this was not politically motivated as such, that this was a act of uh, vengeance or an act of uh, revenge by a single individual. And we're still finding out more about him and uh, perhaps his motive. And also about the security surrounding Prime Minister Abe, because the, this person, the suspect, was able to get very close to him with a what is believed to have been a homemade gun um, and fire. Uh, so how that may change the securitization of uh of political life in Japan following this and all the different follows. We also talked a bit more about uh, Shinzo Abe's legacy. He was the longest serving post-war prime minister in Japan, and he had a huge impact, not just on Japan's foreign policy and domestic policy, but also on the region itself. Stephen, when we left, we were talking a bit more about how we handled the issue uh, with China. He, I mean, when I was based in Beijing, he was certainly not a popular figure at the time. I gather over over the years, he did manage to find ways to repair that relationship. But does his absence leave a vacuum now uh, in that relationship between Japan and China? And if so, what impact could that have? Well, I think that, um, you know, Prime Minister Abe was responsible for resurrecting um, the relationship with China after the nationalization of the Senkaku Islands back in 2012. Um, from that period onward, uh, really, the, the relations were, uh, in, you know, in the abyss. And, and Prime Minister Abe understood that um, Japan's future and China's future and the region's future uh, depended upon a, a cooperative and pragmatic relationship with China, and this is why I think he worked assiduously to uh, repair that relationship and, and move it back to a more functional space. Um, does the Jap Japanese leadership and the Liberal Democratic Party have um, other leaders that can do this? Um, the question is probably yes, or the answer to that question is yes. Um, the question is how effective they will be. That will depend on um, who is in Beijing, who are the leaders there, and how they may, um, you know, use this loss of a, of a strategic thinker as an opportunity to dominate the region. So I'm not sure if Japan is, has so much agency here. Um, it will really depend on who's the partner in China and if they think that normalizing relations with Japan is, is the right way to move forward. Um, and, and frankly, we also need to look to the United States and, and other parts of the world to see how politically stable they are, how engaged they will be, and um, how they prioritize Japan and their foreign policy. And I think Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State of the United States, visited to Japan to uh, pay respects to uh, the Abe family, uh, to the Japanese people and the Japanese government after the death of, of Abe really uh, demonstrates the strength of that relationship and how important the United States views Japan as part of a, its broader uh, Indo-Pacific strategy and, and managing the rise of China. As a last question for you, we have about uh, three and a half minutes left. Sure. Um, I know that that uh, that Prime Minister Abe was the first to move Japan. Sort of, and I don't know how to put it in, in perfect words, but he sort of had them forward looking for so long. Japan's pacifist comp uh, constitution, which was a product of the second the the agreements in the, uh, the end of the Second World War and so forth, Japan had very much been a country that looked back. Um, to the Second World War and that experience and, and, and how to be a different country after it. He had sort of decided that that was maybe it was time to move beyond that. Do you think that continues? Yes, I do. I think that um, Japan has moved into a space where they believe that the post-World War II constitution, um, although uh, imperfect, did have a, a very important role in ensuring that Japan developed uh, and 
rebuilt itself after um, the disastrous experience with World War II to be an internationally respected country. Um, But today, uh, there's very different challenges within the region, whether it's weapons of mass destruction from North Korea or a much more sort of China. Um, Japan needs a different constitution, and it needs uh, to be able to work with countries like the United States or Canada or uh, Australia to provide security not only to themselves and to that partnership, but throughout the region. And that means a more uh, proactive uh, Japanese self-defense force, the ability to uh, acquire and procure different weapon systems, and importantly, uh, to work in uh, and with like-minded countries to help constrain China's assertive behavior, but also uh, find ways to cooperate with China so that, again, we can pursue this idea of coexistence rather than uh, conflict and um, uh, competition. So certainly in that sense, uh, Shinzo Abe's legacy lives on in the sense that, uh, that, that Japan will not be the Japan that we would have seen in 1995 following, you know, this, this is going to be a different Japan going forward. My view is Japan will continue to demonstrate leadership within the region. It will be, have a nuanced policy towards China. It will act as a communicator about the benefits of having a strong economic relationship with China, but also the challenges associated with Chinese um, interests within the region, whether it's Taiwan, the South China Sea, the East China Sea, or the Himalayan Plateau. And I think Japan is well positioned to be that communicator and to ensure that we have more nuanced approaches to the Indo-Pacific region and China. And uh, I think Japan is that partner. And whether it's Prime Minister Kishida or a future Prime Minister, um, this is the path forward towards coexistence and that this is the preferred path um, of peace and stability in the region. Stephen Neji, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks so much.